Give Us This Day Evening Edition is a devotional reflection upon the New Testament lesson from the Order for Evening Prayer from the Book of Common Prayer 1928. These reflections are written and presented by Father Charles Erlinson, who serves at the Church of the Good Shepherd Reformed Episcopal Church in Tyler, Texas. Today is Monday of the 21st Sunday after Trinity. The lesson is taken from Matthew chapter 22, verses 15 through 33. Then went the Pharisees and took counsel how they might entangle him in his talk, and they sent out unto him their disciples with the Herodians, saying, Master, we know that thou art true, and teachest the way of God in truth, neither carest thou for any man, for thou regardest not the person of men. Tell us, therefore, what thinkest thou? Is it lawful to give tribute unto Caesar or not? But Jesus perceived their wickedness and said, Why tempt ye me, ye hypocrites? Show me the tribute money. And they brought unto him a penny, and he saith unto them, Whose is this image and superscription? They say unto him, Caesar's. Then saith he unto them, Render therefore unto Caesar the things which are Caesar's, and unto God the things that are God's. When they had heard these words, they marveled and left him, and went their way. The same day came to him the Sadducees, which say that there is no resurrection, and asked him, saying, Master, Moses said, If a man die, having no children, his brother shall marry his wife, and raise up seed unto his brother. Now there were with us seven brethren, and the first, when he had married a wife, deceased, and having no issue, left his wife unto his brother. Likewise the second also, and the third unto the seventh. And last of all the woman died also. Therefore in the resurrection, whose wife shall she be of the seven? For they all had her. Jesus answered and said unto them, Ye do err, not knowing the scriptures nor the power of God. For in the resurrection they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are as the angels of God in heaven. But as touching the resurrection of the dead, have ye not read that which was spoken unto you by God, saying, I am the God of Abraham, and the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob? God is not the God of the dead, but of the living. And when the multitude heard this, they were astonished at his doctrine. We Christians are amphibians. We dwell in two habitats. We are inhabitants of two universes at the same time. We live in the earthly realm and also the heavenly one at the same time, and often there is tension between the two. Both of today's stories deal with this tension, each in a separate way. Both reveal the wisdom that is necessary for a Christian to be both in this world and yet not of it. The first story in which the Pharisees attempt to trick Jesus is a tale of two kingdoms. In the red coin wearing the logo SPQR, Senatus Populusque Romanus, or the Senate and the People of Rome, is the heavyweight champion of the world, the Roman Empire. In the white corner wearing the logo INRI, I-N-R-I, an abbreviation for Iesus Nazarenus Rex Iodorum, or Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews, is the challenger of the kingdom of God. Of course, the Pharisees had an ulterior motive in setting a trap for Jesus by asking the question of whether or not to pay the tax. But in doing so, they highlighted for all time the tension that exists between the kingdoms of this world and the kingdom of God. For Jesus, the Roman coin symbolized the tension and even competition that exists between the two kingdoms. 
When asked about the two kingdoms, the expected answer would have been an either-or answer. Either you pay the tax and submit to the Roman Empire, the kingdom of man, or you refuse to pay the tax and join the kingdom of heaven. To pay the tax would have seemed to have overthrown the kingdom of God for the kingdom of man, but to refuse to pay the tax would have meant imprisonment or torture or death. In either case, so the Pharisees thought, Jesus and his kingdom would be discredited, checkmate. But not so fast. Jesus asked them to pull out a tax coin. When they do, they are already defeated, because they themselves have also played the Roman game, or else why would they happen to have a tax coin? He asked them whose image and inscription was on the coin, and they say, Caesar's. Now this would have been highly offensive to the Jews. First, they would not have liked the graven image of Caesar on the coin. Second, on some of the coins, Caesar proclaimed himself to be both the Son of God and High Priest. And yet, in spite of these things, Jesus can suggest that we are allowed, and even ought, to render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's. Knowing that Caesar was blasphemous, and knowing the ungodliness of the Roman Empire, Jesus is generous enough to ask his disciples to live in the kingdom of Rome, and even to pay it tribute. How can he do this? I believe that the answer to that question is only a smaller version of a much larger question that is still a problem for us. How can Jesus, who is the King of kings and Lord of lords, allow the kingdom of man and the kingdom of Satan to still exist at all? Why doesn't he overthrow the kingdom of Satan completely and do it now? Is a variation on, why didn't he overthrow the Roman Empire? Maybe we too are looking for an earthly answer to a heavenly problem. What if it's possible for the kingdom of God to exist and even advance among the petty kingdoms of men that dominate our lives? Is this so incredible? To me it's not any more unbelievable than that God, through his Holy Spirit, can inhabit a simple man like myself. This world, as long as it exists, seems to be a mixture of both the kingdom of God and the kingdom of man, of heaven and of earth. And God has put us here to learn to live in his kingdom, our true home, even while dwelling in the kingdom of men. I think it has something to do with the incarnation, in which heaven came down to earth and God came down to man. History seems to be a strange, messy, confusing extension of the incarnation and of God coming to man in spite of man. The second story may help make our situation clearer. In it, the Sadducees take their crack at Jesus, and they attack him along very different lines. They attack the truth of the resurrection, and seemingly point out the absurdity of it as a possibility. But they can only see the earth in his kingdoms, and from that point of view the resurrection seems to be a lie. Modern science would concur. None of us have ever witnessed a resurrection, and since only the things we can observe are real according to modern science, then the resurrection must be a myth. But Jesus uses their assumptions and attacks as an opportunity to open the kingdom of heaven to them, even if only for a moment. They are mistaken because they have assumed that this world is all there is. But if there's a resurrection, then there's also a different kingdom waiting on the other end of it. It's an eternal kingdom, and one in which death has no part. It is a kingdom which is invisible, and thus impossible to prove. There is no hard scientific evidence for it, and yet the vast majority of humanity has hoped against sight that such an external and good kingdom exists after death. Why, if it's so absurd? The sad truth is that too much of my life is spent thinking like a Pharisee or Sadducee. Too much of my life is spent thinking like that this world is all there is, and rather stoically bearing all the injustice, evil, suffering, and disappointment that this life seems to hold. And yet God has opened the kingdom of heaven to all believers. American culture, including the ever-increasing blob known as the U.S. government, seem ubiquitous. There is no escaping them. It appears that we must all continue to lead ever faster lives, cramming in ever more stuff, and pursuing all the latest technologies, or become a pariah. 
But the truth is that the kingdom of God is also present in our lives. The presence of God's kingdom doesn't magically make the kingdoms of man vanish from our lives, but it is supposed to transform them. The truth is that my home is in heaven, with God, and so this world will always seem a little strange. It will always seem as if things are not quite right, because in this world they never are. But I am already in a world, God's world, where things have already been made right. I may continue to limp along in this world, laboring with ever greater difficulty as my body continues to wear out. But that labor, if done for the glory of God, is also part of the kingdom of God. I may lament my own sins and blindness of heart, but I am someone in whom God has deposited his heavenly treasure even in this life. The match seems uneven. The reigning champion of the world, the kingdom of this world, the kingdom of man, seems to be a nearly infant and to occupy the entire universe. But in reality, there is already a new champion, Jesus Christ the righteous, for he won the battle on Calvary. And so my labor today is not so much to give to Caesar what is Caesar's, I'm pretty sure he's going to get what I owe him. The more difficult and more beautiful thing for me today is to remember to give God what is his. And what is his is me, someone made in his image, redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, inhabited by the Holy Spirit, and one who has promised a resurrection of his body, so that in due time the only place I'll exist will be my true home in heaven with God. Give Us This Day Evening Edition is a presentation of Always With Christ Radio, radio in the Anglican way.